0: You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Culture Rich. Welcome. I'm Christina Michelle, inviting you to join me for Culture Rich Conversations. This week, we continue our celebration of Black History Month with a deep dive into the history of the Star-Spangled Banner, also known as the National Anthem, and lift Every Voice and Sing, also known as the National Black Anthem. My guests from the NAACP chapter in Anchorage are diving into the controversy between these two groundbreaking musical contributions and sharing their personal beliefs on both. Join us as we move through this conversation with the intention of finding a way forward. From KTOO in Juneau, this is Culture Rich Conversations.
1: Culture Rich. Culture Rich.
2: Culture-Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage.
3: Culture-Rich Conversations is made possible by a grant from the Social Justice Fund Grant Program of the Alaska Community Foundation.
0: The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture-Rich Conversations is broadcast from Flinkit-Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and future generations. Thank you. Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. You may recognize the names and voices of my guests, Ed Wesley and Cheryl Cox Williams, who have joined us before. It was a treat when they joined us at the beginning of legislature season last year, and I know we'll have the same great experience today. Both of you offer a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait to hear your perspective. On the controversy between the national anthem and the national black anthem. So, for those who are not familiar, Mr. Wesley, you are the former president of the Anchorage NAACP chapter. And Cheryl, you are the president elect for the NAACP Anchorage chapter. And I would love for you to share a little bit about the work that you're doing there in Anchorage with our guests. And Mr. Wesley, we'll start with you.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to be on your program again. And I'm reminded of Nelson Mandela, who said that the greatest weapons that we can use to change the world is education. And every time we get an opportunity to educate the public, that's a great service to our community. And so thank you so much for what you're doing. As you mentioned, I am a former president of the Anchorage branch. In the early 80s, there was a lot of shootings that took place by the police. And as the president, I called in the Justice Department to bring about change, to change the deadly force policy in Anchorage. At the time, the the policy was fleeing felon, which meant if you stole something that was valued at $500 and you were running away, the police could shoot you in the back and that was justifiable homicide. And that all began because a young man was shot through a window in the Fairview neighborhood in Anchorage. And I didn't think that that was... uh, the right policy. So we brought in the Justice Department, and we worked to bring about some changes. And we changed that policy from clean fell to life in immediate danger. So the only way that the police can justify and shooting you now is that their life is in immediate danger, or someone else's life is in immediate danger. And there was a several other. Uh, aspects to the agreement that we came up with but in 1984 85 the supreme court ruled that the fleeing felon rule was not legal and they went to the um life in immediate danger so i felt good about that cuz i was working on it before they ruled against that And so for some of the more current stuff that the NAACP has been involved in, I would uh, yield to Cheryl, the president elect to chair.
0: Thank you, Mr. Wesley. Thank you very much, Mr.
3: Wesley. And um, as he mentioned, it's absolutely glorious that we're able to be back and um, we're very honored for the opportunity. As far as our current uh, situation, uh, we look to the news and I would start with today. You know, the subcommittee right there at the House of Representatives did not pass um, the SBA. So I uh, I tell you, the, the basic student allowance is something that, um, as Mr. Wesley said, education is at the core of what we are wanting to push forward uh, from our national level, we are reminded that literacy is a right. You know, we are to have uh, the opportunity to be availed to the resources that we can uh, conduct ourselves in the system in which we find ourselves. So any blocking of uh, literacy. We also have um, things happening in our small town you know, there are 10 people going to be running for the position of mayor this April in Anchorage. So it would behoove us to be at the forefront of getting folks uh, signed up to vote. You know, it's if we want representation when the when the field gets that murky, you're, you have to be educated. And I think um, with our legacy and our history as the NAACP, We have to be leading forward to that. And also we have uh, taken an opportunity to be more collaborative. So uh, using just the microcosm of the last, uh, what is it? 22 days, you know, our black history month, every single week and every other day of the week, somebody was uh, doing something uh, in honor of black history, but you know, We are a Black 365, so there's more to come. (laughs) And uh, the funds that we have as a more mature organization, we have been very liberal in getting that in the hands of the folks that we know are doing the work. So, so far, so good. So much more to go.
0: Thank you so much, Cheryl, and thank you again, Mr. Wesley, for the very important work that you are doing in Anchorage for the state of Alaska and beyond. For those who are not familiar, NAACP stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Our conversation today, particularly about the Black National Anthem, is relevant to the NAACP because, as we'll discuss further later on, the poem turned... Uh, anthem was written by an NAACP leader in 1900. So it's even more meaningful to have you both represent Alaska's chapter of the NAACP for this conversation. So let's lay a foundation for this discussion with some history. While preparing for today's show, I learned some new things that I'll share and would love to know if any of this information is new to you too. So if you hear something new, give me a reaction on your screen. You're both joining us via Zoom. So if you'll just give me like a, a, a raised hand or a aha face, then I'll acknowledge it. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. Okay. And if you're listening and learn something today, we'd love to know. You can message us on Facebook by searching Black Awareness Association of Juno or send us an email to junobaa at gmail.com. So many of us know the origin of America's national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. As a refresher, according to the National Museum of Natural History, in 1814, the anthem was written by Francis Scott Key after he was inspired by seeing soldiers at Fort McHenry in Baltimore raise an American flag upon defeating the British during the, the War of 1812. The song later went on to become America's national anthem in 1931. So how did the Star-Spangled Banner become a traditional part of sporting events in the United States? It turns out the ritual of performing the anthem began in 1918 during the first game of the World Series in Chicago between the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs. The military band performed the song in an effort to boost attendance and morale after the bombing of the Chicago Federal Building only days earlier. At first, no one was interested in singing along with the military band, but, but by the last of the four verses, all the fans were singing and cheering. The idea to boost morale and attendance at the first game in the 1918 World Series continued with other sporting events and eventually became the tradition we know today. Now, though Lift Every Voice and Seeing has a similar evolution, it has not been met with as warm of a welcome. In 1900, life for Black Americans was grim. Though President Lincoln's 13th Amendment to the Constitution had been passed back in 1865, little had changed in the southern states of America. According to digitalhistory.com, African Americans in the South were subject to a degrading system of social segregation and deprived of the right to vote and other rights of citizenship. This system of racial discrimination based on law and custom was called Jim Crow. It was during this time in 1900 that elementary school principal and the then leader of the NAACP, James Weldon Johnson, wrote the words to lift every voice and sing. Shortly after, his brother John Rosamond Johnson composed the music for the lyrics. The words to Lift Every Voice and Sing captured the heartache, pain, and hope that existed in Black America in a way that had never been articulated before. It was first performed by a choir of 500 school children on February 12th in 1900 as part of a celebration of President Lincoln's birthday. Later in the 1920s, copies of Lift Every Voice and Sing were found in hymnals in Black churches all across America. So why is this so relevant today? Well, if we fast forward to 2020, in the wake of the national protests that followed the murder of George Floyd, the NFL pledged to feature Lift Every Voice and Sing during the pregames every week. Then in 2023, Lift Every Voice and Sing was performed during the Super Bowl as well. The rise in popularity of this historical song has caused some Americans to speak out against its inclusion in televised sporting events. Some say that it divides America and there should only be one anthem for all. Okay, so uh, do you agree with that statement? And Miss uh, Cheryl, I will start with you first. Do you believe that the uh, National Black anthem uh, has the potential to divide America further than it is uh, at this time?
3: Does it have the potential? (laughs) Um, Everything has potential. Um, Is it a rallying call? Is it uh, a motivational song? Is it a transformational song? Uh, All of those, I believe, are true. The problem is context. Always, always context. Because the Black National Anthem is a rallying call for those people of color. It, it speaks to our experience. It speaks to our struggle. It speaks to our hopes. It speaks to our our wishes and our prayers. It might not be for everybody, but for anyone, any group that uh, gets oppressed, marginalized, trivialized, it will resonate. Therefore, it can lift every voice. So. Do I want to package it for everybody's consumption? Maybe not. Could it be? It could. Does it have to be? It doesn't. But should it have the same level of aspirational feeling as you hear from the so-called national anthem? That I do agree. It should It should be played in more places and all of the verses. You know, when you go to church, you got to sing all of it. You have to know all the verses for it to be applicable. So I'm pretty sure I sidestepped most of your questions to say that it depends on who I'm talking to.
0: That's fair. Mr. Wesley, what are your thoughts?
2: My thoughts are this country was set up in 1681 as a racist company country with a caste system that divided the people and it continues to manifest that way with division. And we have to understand that, that when you hear individuals that when with assets of a million, million dollars or more speaking about the need for unity and dividing us, Those individuals are just uh, continuing on what was put in place back then to keep us divided. I'm reminded that out of the 7.8 billion people in the world, we all have each individual DNA, which means that God made each and one of us special and we were made in his image. We should not hate anyone. We can hate what they do, but never hate anyone. And so when we hear individuals not nurturing, but dividing even with their language, we nurture each other by finding that which is positive in the individuals and complimented on that. Stand away from the materialistic things complimenting on materialistic things that people have uh, acquired. But we should stay focused on the individual's personality and then use our tongue, which has the power of life and death, and not accentuate negativity. And as long as we do that, the wealthy will continue to extract our money from the tax code and we would be fighting each other and they would keep us ignorant and fighting each other.
0: Thank you, Mr. Wesley. Uh, Cheryl?
3: Some of the things that uh, come to mind when I am being mentored by Mr. Wesley is, did you read it? Did, did you read that? Did you know all of that? Do you know the history of that? So preparing today, read the words of which we are referring to did you read all the words to our national anthem you know my favorite of course is verse three and if you don't know what I'm hinting at I'm sure you'll bring us to that space a little later but the chances are the folks that are most upset have never read all the words they have done a google search and they got a paragraph that has now given them the answers to all of their lives. So I believe the national anthem that most people are behind are the first verse of the national anthem written by the slave owner, Francis Scott
0: Key. Well, Cheryl, thank you for saying that because I was actually coming to that and you had spoken about reading all of the verses to the National Black Anthem, kind of how we do when we're in church, we read the whole hymn. And uh, there are those who feel that the National Anthem isn't a song that they can stand for because of its reference to the enslaved in the third verse. And the verse, there's there's a line in it that reads, no rep- could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. So there are some who interpret that as um, basically saying that we will pursue you and we will get revenge if you try to fight for your own freedom. Uh, do you agree with that interpretation? And Mr. Wesley, I'll ask you the same, uh, but I'll let Cheryl go first.
3: Yeah, so I am a bit of a wordsmith myself. So chances are there's a couple of long words in there that we don't use in normal discourse anymore. So if you're not someone who's curious, you know, you just glossed over what is vauntingly, you know, what does that have to do with it and what does it mean? So that entire uh, verse is so fraught with ignorance to the 2024 reader. You know, they, they they don't have the context of when this was written, how the person who was writing it showed up in the world. You know, he owned slaves. He was mad that uh, the North had taken um, the refugees from the South into their army, and that line vauntingly swore said somebody said openly and with no, you know, reason. To, to be sure you just said something that you're never coming back. And, you know, when I'm looking that up, I'm like, I sang that? I'm a retired Army sergeant. I continue to stand and will continue to stand for the national anthem because I literally and figuratively shed blood for this country. Okay? So there is a very mixed and conflicted Cheryl on this call because I know that the national anthem is a rallying cry for all of us and it was written during war. And I, I can relate literally and figuratively, but that verse and the fact that a hireling and a slave, most of the folks reading that don't know what it meant. Mm. And the look, because this is my day and night work, the look I have when I educate someone on what they don't know, they get conflicted, and it's really hard to protect yourself when you feel vulnerable, so you just lash lash out. And that's where this uh, program will be very helpful, and Mr. Wesley said to educate us all as to what we're supposedly having a discussion about, not the first verse, all the verses. Absolutely.
0: Mr. Wesley, your thoughts?
2: I echo uh, what uh, Charles just said. In this country, we are evolving as a people to become a more perfect union. As we look through our history, there are many, many things in our history that we're not proud of. And so, having said that, during the Super Bowl, when the Black national anthem is played, keep in mind we're celebrating Black History Month during that particular time. Also, it is centered around Abraham, Ber- Abraham Lincoln's birthday, which it was originally written for uh, as a poem and i as a veteran stand behind the the flag and the national anthem i sing it with pride also recognizing at the same time the parts in it that's not helpful i also do that for my own culture and i stand with pride for the black national anthem knowing our history, and knowing what we have to do in order to make this a more perfect union.
0: Thank you, Mr. Wesley. American football player and social activist Colin Kaepernick said, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. There are many who echo his sentiment, and there are some who don't. And this is what the conversation is about today. If you're just tuning in, I'm Christina Michelle. I'm joined by NAACP Anchorage chapter members discussing the history and controversy between the National Anthem and the Black National Anthem. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. What you just heard was a beautiful performance of Lift Every Voice and Sing, sung by the Westminster Jubilee Singers of Westminster Choir College at Rider University in Princeton, New Jersey, conducted by Donald Dumpson. Before we went to break, we were having a very important conversation here with Mr. Ed Wesley, former president of the Anchorage NAACP chapter and Ms. Cheryl Cox Williams, the president-elect for the NAACP Anchorage chapter. And we're having this conversation about the national anthem and the national black anthem and some of the controversy around it. So getting back into the conversation, uh, it looks like you have a question there, Mr. Wesley. I'll let you answer or ask that. <laughs>
2: Well, it's basically not a question. I just wanted to talk about the importance of music. Music has always been used during the Civil Rights Movement. We had a, a in the 60s, a Mah- Mahalia Jackson used to sing. Harry Tubman used music. Music is the soul of the universe, and music can soothe the beast. Music gives wings to the mind and uh, flight to the imagination. Music is very, very important. And so in most cases, if I'm speaking somewhere, I like to have a song precede me speaking to set the people's mind in a mood. Harriet Tubman, when she would uh, be on the Underground Railroad, one song that she would sing is "Wade in the Water," but what that meant was go in the water to avoid the dogs, so the dogs couldn't follow your trail. Another song that she sung was uh, "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot," which means that now I'm in town. Get ready to get on the get on the Underground Railroad. So we as a people have always used the music and it goes all the way back to the ring shout. and the ring shout is why you have that gospel uh, in the black churches where the audience responds to the leader, The ring shout we used to be in a in a circle and you had a leader spiritually, and everyone is connected through spiritually so. I just want to share how important music is. And we I think all of us loves music, whether it's jazz, gospel, or, or hip-hop, whatever that music is. Uh, and African-Americans have uh, been a part of that, making uh, African-Americans, as Plato would describe, the soul of America. And what do I mean by that? When you have a young kid in Korea that's doing the moonwalk, or a commercial here in America where a young white kid said, I want to be like Mike, or in Poland where they're singing, We Shall Overcome, that means that the character of our culture. Is becoming the soul of this nation. And we as a people are the soul of this nation at this particular time in American history. And we do not want to carry the torch of the past, hating. We want to build a beloved community that King spoke about, the one that is, cares for everybody, absence of poverty longer and hate.
0: Mr. Wesley, when do you first remember singing the National Black Anthem?
2: In high school. We had a, um, a high school principal, her name was Barbara Sizemore. And she went on to be very well known in the Washington, D.C. area. But she would have plays where students would uh, speak about the history of individuals and we would sing songs. And that's where I first heard of the Black National Anthem. Back then, it was referred to as a Negro National Anthem, and I'm writing the 73rd chapter of my book of life this year.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Cheryl, when do you first remember singing the National Black Anthem or the National Negro <laughs> Black Anthem?
3: You know, us... Uh original jamaicans i I was born in jamaica i'm a naturalized uh u.s citizen we co-opt everything american so i didn't know what i was singing um but in uh in hollis Queens, in the late 80s we were jamming out to lift every voice and sing and i as you can tell now i'm still in love with words. And they didn't sing it fast. It's always kind of like, every you know, it's like anybody remember all the words? So you know, I show up. You know, I got the words, and we get to to sing to that. Um, and I I now have reconnected with my my friends and college mates from those years, and we've taken uh, a mantle. In our respective communities, because we are scattered far and wide across the continent now, with me being Alaska the furthest, right? So they have become ministers, teachers, um, administrators in schools, and it still feels like we're doing something very young and fresh. You know, there's still people that we meet that don't know what we're singing. So um, this is from 1986, till now, and it is more and more inclined from that um, early stage in my life that it still feels young and fresh of a song that um, I can still bring to more folks since I first
1: heard it.
0: What would you say that Lift Every Voice and Sing means to black culture and the black community, Mr. Wesley?
2: I I would say it's our rallying cry to lift your voice, to manifest your destination, that God gave each and every one of us a special gift. And we should use that gift to better our society and those that we live with. That's why I find it these days important that I don't put a lot of emphasis on complimenting individuals that acquire a lot of materialistic things. But I would heed all kinds of... uh, Praise on the individuals that will serve another, or have a have the character that emph- empathizes with others, or serves young people. Why do I do that? I do that because it makes my environment wholesome. When you have a person of good character, and so we as individuals should each day. Try and find someone, something good in each and every person that we encounter, and and pay a compliment. With the ideal, it would be carried forward because you make you say a compliment, you're nurturing God's creation. You
0: know what I find interesting is that. The song starts off, and it depends on the rendition that you're listening to, but it's it's a moderate tempo and it's lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmony of liberty. And there gets to a point where, the song kind of dips and it's like sing a song and it, it goes low and if you listen to it and then you see how it comes out because it comes into the lyrics are facing the rising sun of a new day begun it's like it's taking you on a journey the way that it's composed and i'm wondering if you guys ever thought about that and if you think that um the composer um james weldon johnson's brother uh, who wrote the music for it? Do you think that he had that in mind at the time? And Cheryl, I'll I'll let you answer that, and then you can say uh, it looks like you have another comment too.
3: Oh, great minds think alike, Christina. I was <laughs> was right there with you. So I'm ready. the The point of words and music coming together, um, two brothers writing it. You know. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm killing everybody, telling everybody I'm a grandma because I'm so excited. But when you think of (laughs) families, you know, when families are in sync, we finish each other's sentences. So imagine a brother writes the words and his brother just just has this vibe that says, I have the perfect combination for that. And when folks listen to me talk, it would be she starts off really low and then she gets excited and then it kind of dips back down. We're wondering what's happening. Then she's back, you know, and that's that's the flow of a good program. Right. As a flow of a a good program, bring you in, get you up. Don't keep you up there too high. Come on down, calm down and let's do it again. And for you know, this UAA graduate in psychology, I actually take you to a higher place when you come back up the second time. And this song takes me to a higher place when we get towards the end, because now I'm just tingling all over. I feel the crescendo coming and it's like, lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. You know, yes, the black people said that. This is our native land. And that's how we put a full stop on that song. And it's it's just perfect in all
0: of its blending. That's so well said. Mr. Wesley, did you want to
2: add anything to that? We just must remember that the song was written as the poem. And it was written as a tribute to Abraham Lincoln. And when you write poems, you have certain flows and certain rhymes to the words. So we must keep that in mind when he when he wrote it, and his, his brother added the music to it later. But it was uh, originally a, a poem.
0: So this poem was written in 1900, and um, I'm wondering how what your thoughts are on how we can continue to make it feel relevant to the generation that's coming up today because obviously those of us who were born you know in the i would say maybe 70s 80s and earlier probably have a stronger foundation and understanding of the of the relevance but how do we bring that to those who were born in maybe year 2000 year 2010 uh, and after and uh, Mr. Wesley, I'll let you answer that first.
2: In the- Remember what I said, we, we have to educate our public and we have to educate our children as to the history. And that is so important. If you want to avoid war, wars and misunderstanding, you have to spend a lot of energy educating individuals as to what is right because there's a lot of misinformation wars and things start because of misinformation people say and do things to divide us to keep us at each other's throat while they run away with the loot. and we got to be conscious of that just the same as when they in seven in 1675 Uh, When when all of them got together, the slaves and the indigenous service and the natives and all, and they threw out the governor, they were together. But then Great Britain came back in 1681 and set up that caste system. And that caste system divided us socially, economically, and then took the identity away from some of the settlers. They called them white. White does not define an individual. T- takes away the identity, so your 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 identity, your, your, who you are, is normally defined by where you came from or your culture. But when you say white, it doesn't mean anything. Black, same thing. It doesn't it doesn't relate to uh, anything. But that was intentionally set up uh, with a socioeconomic economic system, a racist system. That still exists today. I hear people ask, we're not a racist country. We We are and will continue to be a racist country until African Americans have unfettered access to the vote in order to elect individuals that are going to do those things that benefit all of us. If we have the gerrymandering and suppression of the vote, that's part of that system that's been there where the rich take our tax money through the tax code and keep us fighting and the, the individuals that you find on these radio stations that they hold those are millionaires acting like they support the poor and but they're actually just keeping them ignorant keeping them fighting keeping their target and saying things like uh they will pay for um Someone, someone else would pay for the pay for the wall. <laughs> Another country, you know, stupid stuff like that. Another just ignorance. Another country will pay for the wall that we're going to build in our country.
0: Well, Mr. Wesley, I know that you have done a lot of work in your uh, time with the NAACP around uh, voter suppression. And uh, there is actually an episode that you were on with Culture Rich Conversations sharing. Learning a lot about what we can do uh, to overcome voter suppression, uh, even right here in our own state. So if you're listening and you did not hear that episode, you can find it on on the KTOO website. And I, I believe it's also on our podcast too. And you can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, coming back to the conversation about the National Black Anthem, I want to talk about the Super Bowl, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, uh, but can you guys share your feelings that uh, that came up when you heard the National Black Anthem performed at the Super Bowl for the very first time? And Cheryl, I'll let you answer first. Technology
3: is a beautiful thing. You know, and living in Alaska, everyone thinks that I am still in an igloo. So they were just blowing me up. Make sure that you're you're listening to this right now. And it was it was a little bit of excitement for my Lower 48 family, extended family, to let me know that this historic event was happening. And uh, it it was uh, it was just that for me uh, that I've my Uh, microcosm of time, as Mr. Wesley called it, my chapters, Uh, this year I'll be 55, you know, so I'm squarely in the middle of um, the experience, like you said, uh, right there at the end of the 60s um, at the the burgeoning of of computers. And, uh, you know, I started my life with an eight track and I have a child who has never seen a telephone, (laughs) you know, so it's, So much has happened in this very, very short period of time. So in my lifetime, the same one with the Black president and the female vice president, we also have the national Black anthem played at the Super Bowl for everyone to hear. And I know that like everything else, it was only the first verse, but it was was moving in a very positive direction. And I think that's what my generation's claim the fame is. We get things started in the hopes right. that there'll be some momentum and, you know, taking the baton from Mr. Wesley, it's like we now have the money, the resources and the opportunities that weren't available. So let's um, mechanize this and keep it moving. And that's what a 1900s, Poem being written that it takes till 2024 for it to to make it into what we call mainstream. But what was lingering on my mind was how we get very excited when we're ignorant, right? So here is uh, a Black PhD attending Clark University and having written a poem in honor of a US president who we have for many many years triumphed as our emancipator. Right? There's been no more fitting person to write and dedicate it to. But kind of like how I fell out of love with Thomas Jefferson when I found out more about who the man was and the duality that all of the people that I held in high esteem because I was ignorant to their life. You know, does that take away from the work that they did? It just dials me back on what were their motivators, right? We now know that Abraham Lincoln was motivated to get to a goal of keeping the country together. We know that Thomas Jefferson was sitting on Over 600 slaves, and some of them his own children. But he's a very eloquent writer. And for a wordsmith, I'm conflicted. You know? Mm. Who was the biggest champion of liberty? The Americans. Who had the most slaves? The Americans. Who wanted uh, all right, all men to be equal? Men. But... It takes 2024 for us to start dissecting it, right? Did you mean slaves? No. At the time it was written, we were three fifths of a person, depending on mm-hmm. law you were looking at in Jim Crow.
0: That's right.
3: You know. Um, so which men were you talking about when Abigail Jefferson was talking about women's rights to so Thomas Jefferson? He's like, you're funny. Let's talk about something serious. You know. So in his own home. Um, he was conflicted. And of course, we know about his biracial children. But he says liberty. He is against slavery, but he owns slaves. He's against uh, uh, being stripped of freedoms, but he has people that he's pur- purposely keeping freedoms away from. Uh, so uh, I'm fresh off of um, Abram Kindy's uh, documentary uh, that they did for the book, stamped um, from the beginning. So my mind is which documentary is that?
0: I'm As sorry, so can you say that again?
3: Sure, they made "Stamped from the Beginning" his book into a documentary. He, he has okay. that getting released here shortly. We just had a screening. So just overflowing with what I don't know, with what I do know, and I can't unsee it now. Right? I will. I will still know that I love the writings of Thomas Jefferson, but now I've known more about the man, like Mr. Wesley alluded to. I don't like what you did. It's your action that I am responding to, not you as a person. And we're all flawed. And we cannot um, have a blind eye to where we're coming from. But again, to Mr. Wesley's point, where are we going? What, what's the next step for us to heal? And uh, if we know anything about healing, there's always scars. You don't forget that something happened, there's a change to your body. But how do you move on into
0: this new environment that we're trying? Well, you're hearing the voice of Cheryl Cox-Williams. She's the president-elect of the NAACP Anchorage chapter. And we've been having a conversation uh, with Cheryl and with Mr. Wesley, former president of the NAACP Anchorage chapter. This this conversation has been so good and it's gone by so quickly. I wish that we could continue. But in just one, maybe one or two I would love for you guys to close us out with what you hope our listeners take away from this conversation. And Mr. Wesley, uh, I'll let you go first.
2: That African-Americans have given unparalleled contribution to this country. That in 2020, when African-Americans selected Joe Biden to be the president in the primary and to go on to be the president of the United States, it signified the dawn of a new era. An era of a people who had succeeded in sports, science, entertainment, but now they're in government. The chair of the Economic Council for Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, is a black woman. The ch- chair of the the chair of the uh, the budget, well, not the chair, but the manager of the of the budget, is a black woman. So there's a lot of contributions that have that have been made, and the two things that we have to stay focused on: educating the public and getting people out to vote.
0: Thank you, Mr. Wesley. And Cheryl? Yes, the
3: Black National Anthem and our National Anthem are great writings. I would implore everyone to read all of it. I'd implore everyone to understand the context of the writer and their writing. I would implore everyone that before they get into another fight, that they understand their opponents. Understand their needs and their desires. Understand that we communicate through words and the words that we speak have meaning through the decades. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Again, I appreciate you, Mr. Wesley and Cheryl, for joining us today. These conversations aren't always easy, but uh, they are definitely necessary. And it's people like you and the work that you do that help make it possible for us to have them. I'm Christina Michelle, and we will be right back with Today in Black History. Black History, we celebrate 11-time NBA All-Star legend Julius Winfield Irving, also known as Dr. J, who was born on February 22nd in 1950 in Roosevelt, New York. Dr. J changed the game of professional basketball in America with his unique style of showmanship and technique. Nickel precision, which led the Philadelphia 76ers all the way to their 1983 NBA championship. Dr. J's style and professionalism changed the face of basketball in the 80s and forever earned him a place in Black culture and American history. We thank you for listening today. And as always, we would love to hear your feedback. You have our email address, and you can all always find us on Facebook. Today's show was produced by Natasha Boozer. Until next week, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. I'm Christina Michelle, and this has been Culture Rich Conversations. You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Culture. Culture. Culture Rich.
2: Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage.
3: Culture Rich Conversations is
2: made possible by a grant from the Social Justice Fund grant program of the Alaska Community Foundation.